Three days ago, we celebrated our Independence Day, the day that we as Americans honor the Declaration of Independence and celebrate the birth of the United States as an independent nation and celebrate also the freedoms that we enjoy here in our nation. The famous painting that you see on the screen here depicts the brave men who pledged their lives and their fortunes for this glorious cause. I'd like to have all of our veterans, if you would, at this time to go ahead and stand. We'd like to thank you for being a part of the tremendous effort that it takes to maintain the liberties and the freedoms that are the envy of the entire world. 243 years ago, the world-changing documents began with these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are powerful words, words that in 1776 were truly revolutionary, words that threatened the privilege and the position and the power of the aristocracy and the kings and the dictators of nations all around the globe. But truth be told, July 4, 1776 wasn't the day that the Continental Congress decided to declare independence. That was July 2nd. It wasn't the day that this document that was fully signed, that was August 2nd, 1776. It wasn't even the day that it was delivered to England. That was in November of 1776. And it certainly wasn't the day that the revolution began. That was April 19, 1775. So why July 4th? What happened on July 4th, 1776? That was the day that Congress decided on the final wording that would go into this precious document. So it became the official date that they affixed, you can see it up there, on the fancy handwritten copy that was finally completely signed in August of 1776 and now resides in the National Archives in Washington, D.C. Celebrations on the 4th of July became more and more common as the years went on, and finally in 1870, Congress set aside July 4th as a national holiday to celebrate our independence. With this bold declaration, 13 independent colonies located on the eastern seaboard of North America declared themselves to be free and independent from Great Britain. After years of struggling with this great idea, the colonial representatives to the Continental Congress made this great step of faith. Again, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, all the trivia aside, this beginning statement of the Declaration of Independence is full of biblical truth. You see, first, the founders recognized that absolute truth does exist. Right and wrong, moral and immoral, legal and illegal, all of this emanated from our great creator. It's a foundational truth of our nation. There is absolute truth, and you and I can know that absolute truth, because that truth comes from our Creator. The founders declared this fact to be self-evident, and from that flows the principle that any law that is contrary to God's law is no law at all. Therefore, these unalienable rights come from our Creator. Thomas Jefferson, as you see, summarized these as life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. A concept, unfortunately, that in the modern mind often means people being free to do whatever it is they want to do. But please understand, that's not what God intended. It's not what the founders meant as they wrote here in this document. The right to pursue happiness means the right that we have to be free, to obey the will of God. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We are free to enjoy these liberties, but we are free to choose to obey our God. But as we all know, freedom isn't free. It wasn't free 243 years ago, and it's still not free today. Our war for independence went on for eight long years, and in the years since then, many Americans have paid the ultimate price to maintain the freedoms that you and I enjoy. Let me briefly review as we set the stage just a few of those. It began in my home state of Massachusetts as ordinary citizens stood against the might of the British Army, first at Lexington and then at Concord. Then it continued on a hill outside of Boston called Breed's Hill, unmistakably called the Battle of Bunker Hill, where once again ordinary citizens delivered to the mighty British Army a bloody blow. And finally, eight long years later, the war came to an end as General Cornwallis of the British surrendered his army to General Washington at Yorktown, Virginia. Sadly, it wasn't very long until the issues of slavery threatened to tear apart the very union that these men sacrificed their lives for. And so the North and the South fought a bitter war that resulted in over a million casualties. Then early in the 20th century, our nation was first drawn into a conflict in Europe as World War I broke out. This was a conflict that was supposed to be a war to end all wars. But only 23 years later, the unresolved conflicts of this so-called Great War once again dragged our nation into war. It began with a surprise attack by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. Two and a half years and some 60,000 American casualties later, the beginning of the end commenced on June 6, 1944, as the greatest invasion fleet ever seen landed on the beaches at Normandy and began its march to Berlin. But there was hardly time to breathe, exhale, or celebrate when we were drawn into a fight with communism, first in Korea and then in Vietnam. These struggles took many precious lives. The debate over these threatened to tear apart our nation. But because of our commitment to the biblical principles of freedom for all, our nation has persevered and continues to battle the forces of evil. But, church, understand the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Now, freedom is one of the most precious words I know for everything that it entails in our lives, both in the physical realm, as far as the freedoms that you and I enjoy as Americans, and in the spiritual realm, as far as the freedoms that every single believer has because of who we are in Christ. But as we praise God for our freedoms, we need to be aware that everyone does not view the principles of freedom in the same way. Many people today would define freedom in this way. It's the power or the right to act, speak, or think as one wants without any hindrance or restraint. That can define the word, but I believe for us as Christians, 
that this second usage is a much better application of this word. It's a state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. And it doesn't speak only of the physical there. Now, you all know that the opposite of freedom is slavery. And in discussing this issue, most people will think first along the lines of this first definition, that slavery is a civil relationship where one person has absolute power over another and controls his life. And while this is true in many situations and circumstances, and please understand, slavery is still a very real problem and issue today. Again, I believe the impact of this second usage of this word fits much better in our lives. Slavery is excessive dependence or devotion to something, the condition of being subject to some influence or some habit. And so just as our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers and our great-great-great-grandfathers and so on had to fight to maintain our freedoms as America, so you and I as the church, the body of Christ, church, we must continue to fight to stem the tide of humanistic reasoning and the lies that are so deeply embedded in it. This is because American culture today is steeped in skepticism. The idea that there are any absolute truth for many people is as far as the East is from the West. A typical postmodern response to the statement that absolute truth exists would sound like this. That may be absolutely true for you, but absolutely not true for me. Trust me when I tell you that people need to be very careful when evaluating these statements. Reminds me of these two young women I know who are very good friends, grew up together. It allows them to be totally honest with each other. One night as one of them stood fidgeting in front of the mirror getting ready for a date, she looked at herself and she said, I'm fat. And her friend looked at her and said, no, you're not. My hair is awful. It looks just fine. I've never looked worse. Yes, you have. <laughs> Truth sometimes can get us into trouble. In the past, the promise of modernism, that human reason was able to fix all that was wrong in the world, was an absolute failure. Two world wars stand as testimony to that failure. Today, postmodernists seek to correct what they believe were the flaws of modernism, which is simply a worldview philosophy that, that says there is no absolute truth, whereas modernism acknowledged that there is absolute truth. However, the postmodernist again says that everything is relative to the individual's opinion. Truth is relative to what you believe it is. As a result of this influence, we have reached the point in our culture where any and all absolute truth has been removed, and any and all religious and spiritual distinctions have been erased. Religious pluralism claims that no one religious system is better than any other. And since they say that no absolute truth exists, no one religion or philosophy can claim to be true while another is false. Now, church, believe me, when I share with you that in my 42 years of ministry as a pastor, I have counseled far too many brothers and sisters in Christ, many of them as husbands and wives, who have fallen under the influence of this postmodern garbage, who have fallen under the influence of Satan and his worldview. Christians who have been deluded by this lie of postmodern philosophy that claims there is no absolute truth. Once you fall for that lie, understand the proverbial dominoes start toppling 
and you slowly lose the freedom for which our Savior suffered and died. Let me examine this for a moment. If there's no absolute truth, and again, I say this is a hypothetical, if there's no absolute truth, then how can you and I be absolutely certain that the entire Bible is the inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God? And if it's not the inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God, then how can I, how can you be sure of anything that it teaches? How then can I be sure? How then can you be sure of our eternal salvation and our eternal security? If it's not, then what makes my marriage vow sacred anymore? Why can't I choose my own lifestyle? Who says that that growth in a woman's womb is not just an inconvenient blob of tissue? Shouldn't my personal happiness be my ultimate goal in life? Why do I have to care about the unfortunate circumstances of people I don't even know and I'll never meet? As I'm sure you can see, the questions are endless. And most people struggle big time in trying to reconcile the so-called answers with the reality of the world that you and I live in. And often, as people struggle to find answers, and they do, then they will, then they resort to blame. Blaming the God that they don't believe in. Blaming the Bible that is cruel and unjust and homophobic and thus completely untrue and unreliable. Blaming Christians who are so hypocritical. Blaming the church for basing its teaching on this flawed book and philosophy. Blaming their parents for a lousy upbringing or influence. And again, the list goes on and on and on. Well, if you allow yourself to embrace the postmodern philosophy that all truth is relative, then please understand something. The answer can be whatever you choose. Or you can place the blame wherever you want. Now, church, please, though you may be saying in your mind right now that you are not in the postmodern camp, please do not be so naive to think that its influence that is everywhere in our culture has no effect on your life. In the Apostle Peter's second epistle written shortly before his death, he expresses some deep concerns and warns the church to be on guard regarding the influence of these false teachers in their lives. Let's see what Peter had to say. In verse 1, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies, and even deny the master who bought them. Verse 2, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In verse 3, in their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. Verse 13, they love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. Verse 14, they commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. Verse 15, they have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Beor, who love to earn money by doing wrong. Verse 18, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure people back into sin, those who have barely escaped 
from a lifestyle of deception. And in verse 19, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are, you are a slave to whatever controls you. Church, I pray that each of us see that our fight for freedom must go on. And the only path to victory, the only path to victory is the one where you and I choose to embrace and defend the only absolute truth that exists today, and that is the Word of God. And I want to stress to you first and foremost this morning that our faith rests solely, completely on the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, the man, did live. Historical fact. He was crucified. And because of that, he did die. But three days later, he came back from the dead. He rose from the dead under his own power to prove that his payment was complete and satisfactory, to prove that he was who he said he was, Savior and God. And over 500 people saw him alive after his crucifixion. So our discussion must always begin with the fact that Jesus Christ embodies truth. He is truth. And everything, all truth, begins and ends with him. You all know this verse. Jesus put it this way in John 14. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. There is no other. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he declares that his word is absolute truth. He's praying to the Father. I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And in John chapter 8, Jesus declared that it is only his truth that can ever set you and I free. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to the truth of my word, You're really my disciples. Then, then and only then, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In spite of this very clear declaration, just as all of us are prone to do from time to time, the Jews that Jesus is addressing here overlook the obvious in order to rationalize the way that they were living. In verse 33 and verse 34, they said this. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Hello? Rome, Greece, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the list goes on and on and on. How can you say that we shall be set free? But you see, in spite even of their obvious ignorance or denial of the truth, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone! Who sins is a slave to sin. Church, we cannot deny, number one, the influence of this ungodly world that we live in. Number two, we cannot deny the existence of our sin nature, and we cannot deny the fact of sin in our world. We can deny the effect that it will have. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Let me stop there for a moment. 
as the Apostle Paul says this, please understand, this is not some pie-in-the-sky attitude. As he says, guys, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. You and I, as a child of God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we have the power to say no. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace, undeserved mercy or favor. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin that leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Church, God's command, his encouragement, his plea to you and I, my children, choose freedom. In 2 Corinthians 11, he said, but I fear that somehow, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. There is danger everywhere we turn. There's a contemporary singing group called the Digital Age, and they have a song that our praise team has shared with us on occasion. It's entitled, Break Every Chain. And the, the chorus, the lyrics go like this. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. To break every chain. Church, please understand, this is not just a catchy song. This is the truth of God's word. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain in our lives. Please understand, it doesn't happen just by throwing his name around. It'll only happen as you and I choose obedience. When we choose to activate that power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we choose, as James encourages us in James chapter 1, verse 22, that we are doers of the word and not just hearers only. On March 23rd, 1775, Patrick Henry addressed the Second Virginia Convention. His opponents had urged caution and patience until England replied to Congress's latest petition for reconciliation. I'd like to share a few lines of that speech with you this morning. Some of the language is a bit old-fashioned, but I think you'll get the gist of it all. Mr. President, it is natural to indulge in the illusions of hope. But is this the part of wise men engaged in a great and arduous struggle for liberty? Are we disposed to be of the number of those who, having eyes, see not, having ears, hear not, the things which so nearly concern their temporal salvation? For my part, Whatever anguish it may cost, I am willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst and to provide for it. If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve and violate these inestimable privileges for which we have been so long contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have been so long engaged 
and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained, I say we must fight. I repeat, sir, we must fight. Gentlemen may cry, peace, 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 but there is no peace. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Christians, let's adopt this attitude, spiritually speaking, that we will value liberty over anything that this world has to offer, no matter how attractive or pleasurable it may be, that you and I will refuse to allow ourselves to be enslaved by any of our enemies' lies, ideas, or philosophies, that we will be willing to put on the spiritual armor and fight for what's right, that you and I will allow God the Holy Spirit to guide us and to convict us and to empower us, that when the ways and the philosophies of this world clash with those of our God, we will always choose the ways of our God, that we'll quickly and without hesitation reject the ways of our enemies and fight to influence the people around us with the absolute truth of God's holy word. Church, the price of liberty for our country and for us as a church of Jesus Christ is eternal vigilance. Peter warned us, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking, looking for someone to devour. The enemy is always, always in attack mode. But church, never, 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 never forget that our God is far greater. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The last passage I want to share with you this morning from 2 Peter details some very powerful, some very precious promises from our Savior. His divine power speaking about our Savior. His divine power has given us, what's the next word? His divine power has given you and I everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you and I can participate in the divine nature and notice, escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. Christian, God has already empowered us. If you know Christ as Savior, you are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit, permanently infused with the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this song as we close. Church, that same power resides in you and me. All we have to do is choose obedience. All we have to do is access that power, and we can make an impact. We can make a difference in our world, just as America has, with all the flaws 
with all the problems for some 243 years. The time is now for us to make a difference. Let's pray. Our gracious, loving Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I thank you that you have given us assurance that that power resides in each and every one of us in the person of God the Holy Spirit. Lord, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Father, that difference truly is as far as the east is from the west, that there's no comparison whatsoever, that we do not need to fear this world, its gods, or its philosophies, because we hold the truth. Father, it's that truth that will free us. It's that truth that will help draw people to our Savior. It's that truth that will help us eventually to triumph. We thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we thank you for this time together. For it's in Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.